Hello, and welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. A quick reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. We upload a brand new podcast every Thursday, so be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are Mach 1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Hello and welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. And this is episode 58. This is Mike Frost, and today on the podcast, we're going to be discussing the history of money and the types of societies that deal with money, like communism, fascism, capitalism. And we have an expert, a local expert with us today. We're lucky to have him, renowned local history teacher, Mr. David Chapman. Before we start to talk to Mr. Chapman, let's first welcome to the podcast our CEO and founder, David Lee, David, are you ready for this podcast? I'm ready, Mike. I'm lo- I'm looking forward to this topic. Uh, just all the, you know, differences between capitalism, socialism, etc. So thank you, David, for joining us today. And also, we couldn't do it without her. Is our marketing intern, Erica? Erica, were you ready for this podcast? I am. We have a very special guest <laughs> on the podcast oh, today. Oh, and Erica kind of let the cat out of the bag because it is a special one. Uh, Mr. Chapman, first of all, thank you for joining us today. And as in the investment industry, we have to do disclosure. So right up front, we're going to fully disclose. You are the father of two beautiful, wonderful young ladies, correct? Correct. One of them happens to be named Erica and sitting next to you today. (laughs) What a great blessing. (laughs) So, uh, Mr. Chapman is the dad of Erica, our intern. So, and that way we had an inside track on getting him to join us on the podcast. Mr. Chapman, I'm going to call you David because I've known you for years. Uh, and having known you for years, I know that several years back, there's something that happened in your life that kind of had a major impact. You want to share that with our audience? Well, sure. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Um, I, uh, I am a teacher in Northwest Arkansas and um, have been since uh, 2001. Um, as a teacher, I encounter all kinds of things, but um, never before have I encountered a near-death experience. Uh, I actually uh, collapsed in August of 2005 from a uh, heart failure right in front of my class, teaching about uh, colonial America, and uh, boom, out go the lights. And uh, yeah, I, I had a uh, catastrophic heart failure from a residence. Uh, Lord's blessed me with uh, all of these years since then uh, to be able to not only uh, work with students as a teacher, but to uh, to see my uh, children uh, uh, grow to adulthood and uh, to see all the great things that are happening in this community and so forth. And you got one getting ready to get married too, right? That's right, yeah. What a blessing. Yeah, both of them are about to uh, one of them's out of college and one of them has another year to go. And uh, so, yeah, everything has been really great from there. Uh, it just goes to show that there's uh, so much that uh, can come uh, good from bad things that happen in your life. That's right. And you're being a little bit modest because a bigger part of this story is one of your students 
in your class who had just transferred to school is the one responsible for saving you. Is that right? Well, uh, we certainly had a, a team of people that ultimately ended up being involved with it at the school, but uh, it happened that I had a, a student in that class period that was one of the trainers for the high school football team. And uh, she jumped right in and uh, started the uh, process of CPR that uh, enabled me to continue going um, before even more dramatic measures were brought in to, uh, to save my life, uh, certainly without my student and the nurses from the school and ultimately uh, resource officers and medical response uh, that got me here. I was, uh, I was more or less dead for six minutes uh, before I uh, was revived in full. I woke wow. up in the hospital to see my wife and Steve Jacoby, my uh, principal, at the time uh, so they were uh, they were both there and uh, i'm just curious i'm just curious then do you have a recollection do you remember kind of passing out or whatever however you describe it in front of the classroom or do you just remember waking up and I seeing your remember, wife there i remember the blood running out of my head wow and just feeling like i was very light and according to the student that did uh, work to help revive me she wrote a bunch of things down after the fact she said that I, I said something along the lines of, I'm not feeling, and then doop, the uh, out of the lights. Wow. Um, I briefly remember kind of more seeing myself than seeing it through my eyes, being wheeled towards the ambulance. Uh, really? And, uh, uh, when they were taking me out of the school and then the next day. Almost like an out-of-body experience? Almost. Wow. Almost like that, yeah. I, wow. I, I don't, don't know. Can't, can't, can't say for sure it. that yeah. it was that, but... Uh, whatever the case, uh, yeah, the next time I I was conscious, I was in the hospital and wow. had, had many years ahead of me. So. Gives you a different perspective on life, I'm sure, right? It certainly does. Gives you a lot more of an appreciation of, uh, of life and opportunities yeah. and, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and your family. And you could do the what ifs. I think this was later in the day, too, because school's about done, and you could have been driving home. And if you'd been by yourself, we'd have a whole different outcome. Well, and that's interesting that you bring that up because um, I had uh, I had been having some other type of uh, an issue and hadn't really been feeling great that morning and nearly stayed home that day. My wife went off to work. The girls were at school and such. So, uh, yeah, the what ifs, I could have been at home by myself. Yeah, and wouldn't have had that, that person that helped revive you or whatever it was that they did. Yeah. Well, so audience, we are fortunate to have Mr. Chapman here with us today, along with his wonderful daughter, of course. So uh, Dave, thanks you for sharing that with us. Okay. So now this is a financial podcast. So let's talk about some finances, talk about money. Uh, so Dave, do you know the history of the U.S. and how we went from hard currency to paper currency? Let's start there for a minute before we get into some of these others. Give us a brief synopsis of that history. Why are we using paper money today? Well, the, uh, uh, the ease of exchange uh, is part of that. There are different times throughout our history where the government has uh, uh, stepped in and created a, uh, a paper money, if you will, type of a situation. Greenbacks in the time period of uh, the Civil War and such uh, were one of the, the time periods. It's just a consistent form of money that's going to be uh, presented. It's a promissory note as opposed to that mm -hmm. uh, that hard money. Uh, it's something that 
makes it easier for people to do the business that they, they want to do. Um, the, the cautionary tale, of course, is uh, when you start to get into things like inflation, uh, where the government is creating a lot more money um, than should be in circulation. It can create problems with prices and so forth. Well, you mentioned inflation, and we talked about uh, the, what's in the news today and about people saying, hey, we want to move more to socialism. And that. So let, let's dig into some of those. First of all, let's start off with communism. We hear this term. You know, I'm a little older than most of you. I, I may know it. But some of our audience may not know, well, what is communism? How would you describe that as far as a monetary policy? Well, uh, it- Communism is sort of a, uh, a social and uh, political and economic type of a uh, of a philosophy. You'll hear all kinds of people talk about communism, whether they really understand uh, what communism is is another thing entirely. Uh, very much depends on how it is taught. The idea of communal living of uh, a social cooperation and such is not necessarily something that's new. What we do see is that it becomes much more of an ideology as we get into about the middle of the uh, 19th century, middle 1800s. And, you know, of course, the, uh, the person that is uh, uh, held up as the spokesperson for all of this is Karl Marx. And Marx and Engels is... Uh, collaborator. The idea was that there was always this struggle between the uh, the classes, the, between the, the, the wealthy and the ownership and the workers. And communism, according to what Marx was talking about, was something that was in a series of stages. So you, you had your sort of medieval feudalism and such, and then you got more into a a uh, capitalist type of a circumstance, you know, a, a number of mutations of that. And then we start to get to a point to where we have that communal sort of socialism type of a thing. Mm-hmm. He recognized that in order for there to be the ability to provide and for it to have these equalities and such, there would have to be some sort of, of a uh transitionary type of a period. So Marx, when he talked about it, he talked about how, you know, you would have to have some sort of a way, a means of getting the things that you would then provide. You know, he said and to each according to his need from each according to his ability and that people would cooperatively do things in pretty much all, if not all of the modern circumstances in which someone tried to apply communism, what they were doing was employing a government control over things in which the government was going to dictate exactly how things were going to take place. Uh, Marx, when he kind of when he talked about it, he he saw there being a transition from a capitalist type of a model to a socialism, then to a state controlled communism. But it had to be done in stages. Lenin Vladimir Lenin in uh, Russia after the uh, uh, Russian Revolution uh, decided that they wanted to go right away into a circumstance in which the government was going to try to control things. And they very quickly came across some problems with that. And Lenin stepped back and created what was referred to as the new economic policy. The new economic policy was going to allow for a certain degree of ownership, a certain degree of 
I wouldn't say free market, but freer market. Uh, after Lenin's passing and Stalin makes his way into control, Stalin pretty much changed things back to a circumstance of government control. And that was more or less the way that the Soviet model ran. It was very heavy handed in terms of control. So what do we get from this? Communism, the government is in control of things. The government dictates essentially what is allowed to happen, whether that be economically, politically, or socially. In both instances, Soviet Union and China, you did see a lightening up of the economic control because of the need to be able to stimulate an economy. Um, when we get to the 1980s in China, you have uh, Deng Xiaoping come in and he is going to lighten up the economic uh, controls while still having a, a pretty strong degree of the political social. Uh, in the Soviet Union, Gorbachev is the big change. And uh, no lesser critic than Fidel Castro of Cuba, who is trying to create his own Cuban nationalist slash communist type of a, uh, of a system in Cuba, was very concerned about reforms taking place in a country like the Soviet Union because Castro foresaw that there could be a taste of honey and people start to reject the controls of the system and get a sense of, hey, look at all the things that I can do if I have a degree of freedom. And Castro's worst nightmare came true in that the Soviet Union fell and that was his greatest uh, subsidizer. Mm -hmm. And so here you have the model off 90 miles off the shore of Florida of communism. When they no longer had that uh, that subsidizing power of the Soviet Union, the Cuban economy went into free fall. What do you get with things like that? You get what happens in Cuba with uh, a lack of electricity, a lack of water, a lack of services and such that people have come to expect. Guys, the thing that sort of saved Castro and kept Castro in control of his country, Cuba, was the emergence of Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. Because Venezuela turns into a uh, a, a strong government control socialist uh, country and where the Soviet Union was no longer there. Now Castro and Chavez are allies and working together. And so Cuba was essentially rescued or Castro as Cuba was rescued so that they didn't collapse because now they have a suitor in Venezuela. Now Venezuela, free fall. Yeah. You see all the things that have happened recently in there. The problem with all of these models is that the government gets in and stifles the ability of people to do what people can really do best. And that is to innovate, to be creative, uh, to have dreams yep. and to do things that really in the United States, we have benefited so much from the yep. ability to do that. So, David, so I hear all this. You talk about communism. How would you say communism is different than what's going on in North Korea? Well, in in North Korea, there's there's an awful lot we don't know about North Korea because North Korea is a country in which uh, it is a uh, a family dictatorship that uh, that came into power in the years immediately after uh, the Second World War. Without getting too deeply into the weeds, uh, North Korea was given an awful lot of latitude 
uh, in the years immediately after the war. And the North Korean dictator uh, Kim Il-sung took that as a green light to try to expand and take over the the uh, South Korean, uh, southern part of the Korean Peninsula. At the at the end of it all, we get a an armistice that ends the so-called Korean conflict or Korean War, and you uh, you have Kim Il Sung still in control of North Korea. That family created a dictatorship that was uh, was very much in control of all aspects. Uh, it is an almost cultish type of a uh, environment in North Korea. And again, it's different than some of the other ones that I mentioned briefly because there's so little that we know about them. They have cut themselves off. They are cut off in a lot of ways as well because of the behavior of the uh, the regime there. Very little freedom at all. Under a Soviet model, under a Chinese model, under a Vietnamese model, you name various different ones. There was also always a degree of transparency that we would see how things were operating, whereas in North Korea, we don't see that. It's very much a dictatorship, um, you know, along the lines of uh, even greater than a Stalinist or for that matter, um, you know, like a, a Hitler type of a circumstance. Yeah, very much more so. Yeah. I mean, communism is uh, pretty well centrally controlled. You know, it's where the government controls the means of and the means of production essentially right government controls everything in a dictatorship it's all that and more they control the the economy they control i mean they like you said it's very much a cult there in korea where the people actually view the their the leader as like the the god also almost like a pharaoh back in egypt and in ancient times right so thank you for that history lesson on communism that let's uh compare and contrast let's talk discuss capitalism briefly um, how does a, what is capitalism? What are the pros and cons of it? Compare and contrast capitalism versus socialism and the pros and cons of each. Well, let me throw out one, uh, one other model that happened in the 20th century very quickly. And that is fascism. Yes. Capitalism is a system in which there's, uh, essentially a free market type of a circumstance in which people are able to pursue the types of, um, commerce that they would, they would like. If, if you have an idea that you feel is going to meet a need, you can provide that. You take a risk that you're providing that and so forth, and that someone will reward you for that. The interesting thing that happens in the uh, early mid part of the 20th century with fascism is that fascism was a, what was referred to as a third or middle way between capitalism and communism. And the National Socialists uh, in Germany or the fascists in Italy and such tried to employ a circumstance in which there was a uh, an alternative to s- entirely state-controlled communism or free market under uh, a model, say, like the United States or the United Kingdom. Uh, with uh, fascism, it's just another example of one in which you can get a dictatorship that develops in that. Uh, the National Socialists, interestingly enough, and I'll just throw this out there, started as a more left-leaning group that that starts to angle towards the right under people like Hitler. When Hitler gains control of the party over uh, a, a couple of brothers that were 
in the Nazi party prior to, or the National Socialists as they were, they were called, the, uh, the Strasser brothers were a more left-wing part of that, and then Hitler was a right-wing. Well, Hitler gains control of the party, and it makes that rightward turn in terms of strong nationalism, racial elements, and so forth. But they utilized a, uh, a system that was corporatism. This idea of like a big national corporation running things, it's still the government very much involved. Now, in the United States, what we develop over time, in our colonial years, we had something that we operated under called mercantilism, which was essentially a colonial type of an economic philosophy in which the British and other powers of Europe used their colonies as a way to make money, to develop wealth, resources, and such for the mother country. It was not capitalist. What we develop in the new emerging United States is a capitalist type of a situation that comes uh, under the Adam Smith uh, invisible hand of uh, the invisible hand that guides people to go towards the things that benefit not just themselves, but, but the you entire have, economy. You have to come up with something that benefits others yes. in order for you to be able to make that. And our founding fathers were very much of the mindset that that was a good way to go. You know, for instance, when we hear them refer to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the idea is that you can pursue things that uh, you want to, things that you gain enjoyment from. The Enlightenment idea was life, liberty, and property. So I kind of jokingly think that you know, we as Americans thought of you know the pursuit of happiness is our ability to own and gain property and to have ownership of things and to gain to gain benefit from what we do a free market capitalist type of a situation is when you have as little government as possible being involved in the means of production the providing of services and so forth and all of that is done in a circumstance uh, of uh, supply and demand. We have this item, someone wants a service or an item over here. People are able to rise up and provide to others. You know, and you take gambles to, to uh, try to develop a business, but the gamble is a part of the payoff. Yep. People really like, I think, they're hardwired to like the challenge. Yep. And when you get into a circumstance between capitalism and socialism, the thing that you so often see take place is that the incentive to innovate, to seek, to dream and such uh, goes away. It's diminished because the government starts to come in and take a greater role in determining what needs to be done. All right. So, David, thanks for the history lesson on all that. So real quickly, in just a few words, kind of quickly encapsulate what the what are the pros and cons? What is communism? What is fascism? What is capitalism? Pros and cons of each. And then that'll lead into into a discussion of, you know, where where are we going today? Because what what I'm wanting to get to is we see a lot of turmoil within our own country 
we see Antifa, which theoretically stands for anti-fascism. So are, are they truly anti-fascist? Do they even know what they're talking about? You know, that's one of the things I want to get into. And, and capitalism and the, you know, we, most Americans, people that, that have grown up in our system of government, we, we were taught to believe, and I do believe that capitalism is the best, the best economic model for the efficient distribution of goods and services throughout an economy. So let's talk just broadly about the differences between those three economic models that we've discussed today. Just in, in broad strokes, communism is a circumstance in which you have the government in control of things. We have already mentioned that. Uh, it sounds good um, because it is something, uh, a, it's, it's a system in which Everyone would have what they need uh, and everyone would would engage in providing uh, for the overall welfare of everyone. And socialism is pretty much the same type of a thing. It sounds very good. It hits all the emotional points that um, people respond to where they feel like, oh, well, it's uh, it's taking care of everyone and no one is going to get left behind. But the the. The, the, the main problem with it is that it really lends itself to a dictatorship type of a system yeah. in which the government. Exactly, because it's all government controlled. What's the difference between that and socialism, briefly? Uh, socialism, Communism and socialism. socialism is, a, is sort of a midway point, yep. but it is in the direction of the it's communist. more like a transition state. And that's communism. exactly how Marx envisioned it. Exactly. Yes. The people who are interested in communism tend to be the, the people at the top because it, that benefits them the most, right? Because the government, in other words, the political leaders, they're the ones that control everything. So naturally, that that's a system that benefits them greatly, but ultimately in the long run destroys your economy because it takes away motivation, you, you know, like we, like you were talking about. So socialism is more of a transitory state to communism. And fascism, briefly? Um, fascism is, is a much harder system to define because it is often described as an ideology in which it's easier to tell what it's against than, than what it's for. Okay. That's, that's really, if you look at the histories that are done of Mussolini in Italy, Hitler in uh, Germany, what you do find is it's very difficult to nail down what fascism was. Now, when anti-fascists, Antifa, when they're talking, they're talking about an idea that could just as easily be ascribed to left and right wing. It really is a, a matter of a strong disagreement with okay. what someone stands, yeah. uh, someone stands for. Um, but yeah, fascism as a system did not last long because it was ill-defined. Yeah. Okay. That's good. And then capitalism. Capitalism, uh, very much the idea that um, the way that the economy goes is based upon what it is that people want, what kind of services people want, what kind of products people. Sometimes people don't know what kind of products or services they yeah. want. Like, you know, for instance, computers and our yeah, modern technology. The iPhone, we, were, we had that discussion the other day. Who, who could have, people didn't even know that they could benefit from or how, how an iPhone would improve their lives until it was invented. Someone, someone innovates, someone yeah. dreams, someone yeah. comes up with yeah. a concept that's really earth-shaking yeah. in a sense. That is something that a free market capitalist type of a system will encourage yeah and and i i believe that only a free market capitalistic type 
type of system can, you know, uh, only a capitalistic economy can generate the types of products and things that we've seen here because there's no motivation in a socialistic or communistic type of government to create. Kind of like this podcast. You wouldn't get this in North Korea. (laughs) There you go. Very true. (laughs) Okay. So, wow, we've cut a lot of area today. Uh, So, right now, we are capitalists. And what we see going on, and we can name some names of people in in politics today that are wanting to, we feel, move us to more of a socialist government. Do you feel that as a history teacher? Are you seeing that? Do you see the the warning signs ahead? I do. And there's uh, there's concerns on a number of levels. First of all, what people are presenting as being socialist, they point to models like, for instance, Denmark or the, you know, the Scandinavian countries in general of Europe that really are, they are free market economies that act as a welfare state. They do not have government control over the, uh, the, the means of production. The means of production, exactly. Um, and folks that are in power in, in those countries will be the first ones to say, we are not socialist countries. But they're being upheld as socialist models, while there tends to be a, a glamorizing of a Venezuela or a place like that. They're two very different things. So the selling of the American people on the idea of socialism, it's held up as, well, we want to be more like socialist Denmark or socialist Sweden when they're not socialists. So when people go for the ideas of socialism, they get the good feels from being uh, uh, lured in by, oh, everyone's going to have what they need. And there's going to the, the problem that you get into is exactly the type of thing that happened to uh, Venezuela in which they try to control everything. And then soon you have the realization that there's only so much money that you can confiscate. Like Margaret Thatcher said, the only problem with socialism is eventually you run out of everybody else's money. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Other than that, it's a great system. <laughs> what moral or religious uh, role does our government play in a capitalist society? Well, uh, without a moral compass uh, for for the country, that's where you can really start to get into circumstances where you maybe experience some of the abuses that are assigned to capitalism, the greed and and things like that. When you have a moral compass involved, and of course you can get into an argument in an empty room about morality, (laughs) but whatever the case, when a government operates under a moral compass and they they allow for that type of thing, people are going to be more charitable. People are going to look out for each other voluntarily much more. Um, than uh, than you might expect. The United States is is a country in which a, a large, uh, a very large portion of our population uh, uh, donates time and resources and such to charitable things. The government can benefit a lot from encouraging that, as opposed to separating that out and trying to. Uh, create a circumstance in which charity and morality and such are separate from how you govern. You, it's very important to have some sort of a, uh, a means of keeping people focused on the good of many without having the government 
heavy-handed in, in dictating it. Without, exactly. exactly. Glad you brought up charity because on our next podcast, please tune in because we're going to have a local pastor talking about that and the church's role within America. And so please tune in next week to hear that podcast. But as we're talking about charity, you know, right now we're seeing a lot of government handouts, you know, the stimulus packages and all this other stuff. Is that charity in your mind? Well, uh, it's, it's really separate in a lot of ways. And, and you can almost call it, uh, if you want to be cynical about it, you can almost call it a form of control. The reliance of the American people on the government to provide is something that's changed a lot during the 20th century. Prior to, say, the Great Depression, Americans generally uh, felt that they did not want to be uh, indebted to anyone. They did not want to take handouts and such unless they they chose to do so. Uh, the, when the government is the provider of that and it's incentivized, it creates a circumstance in which people won't want to do things for themselves. And we see this playing out right now in that the government, uh, for instance, extends the unemployment benefits because of a COVID-19 type of a situation or they increase the benefits. Well, now we have a, a situation that we can see playing out in a lot of uh, corners of our country in which there are sectors of our economy that can't get employees because the employees that they might have are otherwise receiving gov government benefits that the uh, recipients feel are more lucrative than actually going out and uh, getting a job. Yeah. And that, to your point, that creates more government control over those people, right? The more, the more you receive from government, the more you're subject to government's control. And, and you're that much closer, in my opinion, to becoming a socialistic type of government, which is a precursor to communism where government controls everything and all the power flows to the top and everybody else is kind of equally miserable, if you will. Right. So one thing you were talking about earlier, uh, David is, you know, having a, when the country can kind of follow a moral code, it kind of keeps in check some of the, you might call it the evils of capitalism and every, every economic model has, whether you want to call it evils or disadvantages or weaknesses, every economic model known to man has weaknesses Capitalism, in my mind, and you, I want to share your opinion on this. In my mind, capitalism's weakness is that greed can can take over, right? It becomes all about greed, and and people can get left behind quickly, right? Would you agree? Is that one of the drawbacks of capitalism? Yeah, it's a, it's a drawback, and it's certainly one of the key criticisms of it, and one of the things again, if you want to deal with the emotional uh, uh, pleas that people would have for pushing. Uh, a change into socialism would be, well, if you had socialism, you wouldn't have people getting left behind. There are certainly uh, uh, circumstances throughout our history in which people benefited quite a bit from uh, their uh, economic platform that they had with their corporations and such. Um, but the, uh, the, the focus on the so-called robber baron type of uh, model from, you know, late 19th, early 20th century uh, is 
you know, perhaps overblown in a lot of ways. What well, my opinion is, is that one of the one of the evils of capitalism or potential evils of capitalism, you, you mentioned robber barons or whatever, but, you know, just people that get out of control greedy. You think about monopolies, for example, tend to tend to form. You think about the Rockefellers and the Vanderbilt, JP Morgan, the Vanderbilts, et cetera, you know, that became the economy needed them. They performed a valuable service within the economy, um, but they become you know, they get very large very quickly. And part of government control is to level the playing field, not to create equal outcomes, but equal opportunity. Um, but also I feel like one of the, one of the things that keeps capitalism's negative in check is just the moral slash religious character of the people within that system. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, as long as we encourage that, that, that is something that has played out throughout uh, our history as a country is that when people are acting on their moral compass, their conscience, their Holy Spirit that's uh, speaking through them and, and enlightening them to the things that are going on. Yes, you do have certain uh, circumstances in which people are going to abuse it. And that is, that is uh, as you said, in any situation. But we as a country have always benefited from the uh, circumstance of people acting in a way in which they see everything. I think of a couple of quotes come to mind. You know, there was Alexis de, Alexis de Tocqueville. He was studying what made America great. And he said, America is great because she is good. When she ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. And he was observing that the character, this was back in the 1800s, I think, the character of the nation was a, we were very much a moral and religious people. Pretty much everybody went to church. And then I think of another church, uh, quote by John Adams where he says, this constitutional style of government that we have was designed for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. It's one of the concerns that I see for our nation right now. Why You see the Antifa stuff. You see the push towards socialism and all these different things going on. I personally believe it's due to a degradation in the moral and religious quality and character of our people. That's something that, that we need to, hopefully, as a nation, we can get back to that. We can get back to our moral and religious character that came from our founding fathers. Wow. A lot today on the podcast. Thank you, Mr. Chapman, for joining us today. And thank you again for letting us uh, have your daughter for the summer as our intern. And Erica, can you share with the folks, the listeners, how they can submit a question for us here at Mach 1 or even for your dad? Uh, how can they do that? Yeah, so you're going to submit any questions that you have on our website under the podcast section, or you can email podcast at mock-1financial.com. Fantastic. Thank you, Erica. You do a great job on the producing the show and making us look good on this podcast. And remember, folks, next week, we've got a local pastor to kind of take what we just talked about today to the next level on how charity and the church's role in America, how so important that is. So you want to tune in next week on the podcast. All right. We always like to end with the thought of the day. And I'm going to ask Mr. Chapman to read this one because he knows this one, I understand. History will always repeat itself if we fail to learn from it. <laughs> and that is by none other than Mr. David Chapman. Well, folks, that's it for today. We appreciate you listening to the podcast. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Mach 1 Market Moment. A quick reminder.
reminder, the host of this show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. Guests on the show may be clients of Mach 1 Financial Group, and comments should not be taken as an endorsement or testimonial of the firm. Comments are the sole opinion of the speaker and do not reflect the opinion of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said on the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Mach 1 Financial Group, Inc., Mach 1, is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular skill level or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit www.mock-1financial.com slash disclosures.